Thanks for listening to the teaching podcast for People of Hope Church. To learn more about our ministry in Murfreesboro, Tennessee, visit peopleofhope.church. Hello again. We are walking through a particular passage of Scripture this morning in the book of Titus. So if you haven't been in Titus this week, I'm going to give you a couple of minutes to find it. It's right after uh, Timothy and uh, before you get to the book of Hebrews, but it's going to come up on your screen in just a moment. But in Titus chapter 3 is where we're going to study this morning for our teaching. Titus is a man who was kind of on the team with the Apostle Paul. He was one of Paul's trusted kind of leaders. He was a, a, not just a leader, but he was a developer of leaders. And so Paul found out that there was some trouble going on with a church on the island of Crete. And believe it or not, churches can find themselves getting in the trouble. <laughs> and there needed to be some changes made. And so Paul dispatched Titus to go to Crete and to raise up some new leaders, to appoint some godly leaders on the island of Crete. Paul was hearing about this troubled church and he was taking care of it, being a good leader, sort of a father over a group of churches. Paul sent Titus into this. And so the book that we call Titus is Paul's letter to Titus about this mission, about this assignment. And here in chapter 3, we have a beautiful expression of our salvation, a beautiful expression of our relationship with Jesus, a beautiful expression of our relationship with each other, and all of it adds up to a teaching this morning entitled, Undeserved Hope. Titus chapter 3, starting in verse 3. Titus 3, verse 3. At one time, Paul writes, we too were foolish. He's going to give a little list here. We were foolish, disobedient, and now these two things are coupled, deceived and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. Paul's describing what our lives were like before we became Christians. He goes on to say, we lived in malice. That was a and anger toward each other and wishing each other harm where you were hoping that that other person around you didn't get good news. We lived in malice and envy. God, I want what they've got. God, why aren't you loving me like you're loving them? Why are all their Facebook posts always happy and celebrations and mine are like another prayer request? Envy. God, I want their life. I want what you're doing for them. We lived in malice and envy. Look at this phrase here, being hated and hating one another. What a terrible, terrible thing for people to endure. That kind of environment where we were enslaved to these passions, where you were thinking to yourself, I, I, I don't want to go in off the, the main road and get into the ditch of running after lust or, or greed and all these kind of things, but I'm just enslaved to it. That's before Jesus. When you didn't have a choice in a lot of ways because you were bound up in the grip of some of these sins. Paul says, we were disobedient. Anybody want to argue with that? 
All of us have sinned, amen? All of us have been disobedient to God in one way, shape, or another. We were foolish, deceived and enslaved. This malice and envy is not a way for people to live together in a church. I'm not happy about you, and I want bad things to happen to you, and for other people, I want your life. I like what's going on with you, and I wish God would do that in my life, and I'm kind of a little mad, a little ticked off that you got a lot of good news, and I have mostly bad news. Why has my story got so much drama, and their story just seems to be all happiness? Hating and being hated. Can we agree that is no way to live? Look at the entry there in verse three. Once we were. This is Paul describing the life of a person who is not yet had their heart changed by the love and mercy and grace of God. Verse four. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. Amen. He saved us not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. Yeah, come on. He saved us because of his mercy. Don't forget what mercy is. Mercy is when someone has the absolute right to crush you and they choose not to. Grace is God coming along to you and bending and stooping down to show you kindness and favor in your, favor in your life. But mercy is almost a battlefield image. It's almost the image of two soldiers going at each other and one of them gets the upper hand and one of them is on the ground and the other one's holding a sword at their neck at that moment and he has the absolute right, the absolute opportunity to run them through and instead he pulls back the sword and lifts up a hand. That's the mercy of God. Because none of us would say we haven't been disobedient. None of us would say we do not deserve the judgment and wrath of God. He would be fully right to squash us. He would be glorious in his upholding of what is right by punishing those who are guilty. But the kindness and the love of God appeared in Christ our Savior. And he saved us. Not because of good things we had done, but because of his mercy. The one who has the right to crush us chooses not to. Isn't that beautiful? It goes on to say, he saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. Let's talk about those for just a second. There's a concept of being a Christian of, of saying that you have been born again. If you want to read more about this, you can go to John chapter 3 and the encounter that Jesus had with a man named Nicodemus. And Nicodemus was confused about this. How can a person be born a second time from their mother's womb? And Jesus said, no, no, no. Your first time, you're born to your mom the first time, but then you need to be born of the Spirit a second time. You need to be born again in your life. You need to be made new by God. And that's what happened in our salvation. God didn't just polish up the dirty old you. He made you a new creation in Christ. That's hope. It says the washing 
of regeneration, the idea of being born again, and the renewal by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is coming to our lives once we believe in Jesus. You do not have to wait for the Holy Spirit to come if you're a Christian. If you've put faith in Jesus and followed Jesus, then in that moment, the Holy Spirit has come to to dwell in your heart fully and permanently as a seal on your inheritance at the end of days. And those two things are at work in us. There is the new creation truth that rebirth. And there's also the renewal of the Holy Spirit. So check this out. Not only when you believed in Jesus did God make you a new creation, but he then put his spirit in you to go with you, to guide you, to help you, to teach you, to remind you of all truth, to comfort you, to to be your partner in this world. That is awesome. And all of this is under the banner of the kindness and the love of God. For we were disobedient. We were foolish. Anybody else but me have have these moments where you replay the video of some of your idiot moments in life? How, how, oh, God. Oh. We were disobedient. We were foolish. We were living in malice and envy and we were bound up in these pleasures of earth and these lustful, inappropriate things. Relationships were not right, but then God. The kindness and love of God appeared. So there's the rebirth and then there's the renewal of the Holy Spirit going on, whom he poured out on us generously. Our God's a generous God, amen? He poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that. Whenever you see the phrase, so that, it's indicating what was on God's mind. In order that, so that. Having been justified by his grace, the word justified, just as a reminder to you, is a legal pronouncement. You were declared not guilty, even though you're guilty. That's the judge's gavel going down and saying, I am declaring, I am the judge, and I get to declare such things. I am declaring that you are not guilty. All that deserved to be put on you as guilt has been put on Jesus, and he paid it in full on the cross. When Jesus died on the cross, all of the guilt of your sin was poured out on him. And then when you believe in Jesus, God justifies you. He pronounces you not guilty. So until you believe in Jesus, you are still what? Guilty. You are still hanging under the guilt of your sin. It is still hanging over your life. But once you believe, you are pronounced justified. And how are we justified? Paul tells us here in this letter, having been justified by his, what does it say? His grace. Grace is undeserved kindness. So put all that together there in that verse. Having been pronounced not guilty, when we all know we're guilty and what we deserve, having been pronounced not guilty by his undeserved kindness, we might become heirs. That has a family note to it. You become part of the family of God. 
You become one of his kids. When you believe in Jesus, you become a son or a daughter of the most high God with all the rights and privileges therein. So that we might become heirs. You are an heir to a great inheritance. And you may have just sat up a little bit more straight right there like, wait, wait, somebody leave me some money? Not that kind of inheritance. Way better. You're on your way somewhere. This world is not all there is. That's good news. But we are on our way to be with Jesus. And all that heaven is, an inheritance of the glory of God, as he is fully triumphant. And all those who've been redeemed are brought home. We become heirs, having the hope. Boy, we like that, don't we? We love hope, that people of hope. <laughs> That's who we are. Having the hope of eternal life. In this passage, you have so much. You have who we used to be, but then the love and kindness, which is grace, the love and kindness of God appeared in Christ. You see who we were, now we've been changed. What our relationships were like, and now they've been changed by grace. And you and I have been justified, and we've been shown mercy. And all of it's under the kindness of God, the grace of God covering it all to give us hope. Hope for now and hope for eternal life. What a beautiful and powerful portion of God's word. I want to walk us through th three things this morning that, that come out of this text, the three things that rise to the surface for who we are as a church. We're nine months into our life as a brand new church in Murfreesboro, Tennessee, living under the mission of making Jesus famous, of glorifying God, and connecting Murfreesboro and MTSU with the hope of Jesus. This is the hope. He is our hope. Amen? Amen. We don't have anything to offer people out there, but what we can do is point them to Jesus, and he can be everything for them. He can make them new. He can make them clean. He can bring them into his family. <coughs> Three things this morning coming out of this text that are true about us and how they need to be bedrock items for our life as a new church. Number one, we have a hope in a grace-based salvation. Hope in a grace-based salvation. We have hope in a grace-based salvation. Hallelujah, glory to God, my salvation doesn't depend on my good behavior. Hallelujah, glory to God, my salvation doesn't depend on my ability to keep the rules, to stay on track, to keep the list. This is the radical nature of the salvation that has come to us through Jesus. We do not become right with God because of anything we do. It's just his kindness, amen? 
That's why the cross is so central. That's why we keep proclaiming the Lord's death through the bread and through the cup because it is our absolute hope. We're gonna stand before God one day, each and every one of us, and our hope will not be showing God our lifetime report card. Our hope will not be, I was a good dad, I was a good boss, I was a good employee, I was a good wife, I was a good husband, I was a good daughter, I was a good student. Our, our hope is not in us. What we're gonna do is claim the blood of Christ over all of our guilt. And did we deserve it? No. It is a grace-based salvation. That's hope. So for all of us in the room, if you are sinful, there is hope for you because your salvation doesn't hinge on your good behavior. And for those who have not yet walked through our doors, that Lord willing, over the years and decades of the life of People of Hope Church, as the Lord brings us favor and grows our community, as that happens, we will continue to lift up hope in the grace of God to be saved. You've been really sinful, come on in. Because there's grace for you. Are you really good at being sinful? Have you really liked being sinful? I mean, have you gone way off the road of obeying God? Have you never even thought about God? Have you just been flat out evil a lot of times in your life? There is grace for everyone, amen? This has to be a bedrock foundation. I love how Paul says it here in this text. He says, in Titus chapter three, he said, when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. People of Murfreesboro, Tennessee, there is mercy for you. Students at MTSU, there is mercy from God for you. The one who has every right to crush you chose to crush his son because he loves you. The one who has every right to crush us crushed his son because he loves us. We are people of hope in a grace-based salvation. We don't work for God's approval. We don't work to be right with God. We don't work to get out of a doghouse with God. We don't work to impress God. We don't commit a sin and then try to do a good deed to equal it all out. We are not men and women who have a relationship with God based on the balance of scales of doing some bad and doing some good and trying to do more good than you do bad. That's a false system. We are people of grace. And let it always be so that we don't start to look at people and say, we'll accept you if you follow our rules. If you dress a certain way or act a certain way, come on in. There is grace for us all. Are you with me on that? Because that is the love and mercy that has come to us. Salvation is something that we receive, not something we achieve. It is the gift of God based on his kindness and the finished work of the cross and the empty tomb, not at all on our works. 
Number two, coming out of this text, something else that's so critical and important. We must lock into this. This is a huge thing. We have a hope in a grace-based eternity. Hope in a grace-based eternity. So not only a grace-based salvation for today, but a grace-based salvation for forever. Right now, when we believe in Jesus, we are saved not by our works, but by, our, by grace. And we are justified, we are declared not guilty, we are made righteous, acceptable to God, and we are filled with the Holy Spirit for doing life on earth. And by the way, all those passions that we used to be enslaved to, according to Titus 3, we're set free from that. Salvation sets you free. So sin is now no longer a have to, it becomes a want to or a choose to. We have a grace-based eternity. Let me remind you of some things that the Bible says. The Bible says in John 14 that God is preparing a place for you right now. Do you and I really deserve to have a, a place? What kind of place do you deserve to be, had, to be made for you? <laughs> I don't, I don't want to see that room. But we have a grace-based eternity when Jesus says, if I go, I'm going to prepare a place for you, I almost picture him going, wait till you see it. Wait till you experience it. You thought home, you thought you understood what the word home means, wait till you're in the home I'm going to make for you. Right now, dear friends, if you're in Christ Jesus, Jesus is in a construction project right now. I don't know if he has a hard hat or not. Probably doesn't need a tool belt. He is preparing a place for you right now. Not because of how you've lived, but because of his kindness. The hope we have in eternity is an undeserved hope. The Bible tells us that God will also settle up with evil. Anybody mad at evil and some of the stuff that gets un? addressed in our world, the injustice and the terrible things that people do and the crimes and just the violation and the abuse and all the things that happen, God will settle up with those. He's told us that, that it is God's place to have vengeance. You and I are not to be vengeful. It is mine to repay, says the Lord. There will come a day where God will pay up and settle up with the evil that runs loose on this planet. That's good news. That reminds us that evil is on a leash, that evil has an expiration date, that evil is not stronger than God, and that the world is not spinning out of control, that it is running on the clock of the Lord, and when that clock runs out, and when God says, it's time, evil will be dealt with. The Bible tells us about our hope in grace-based eternity that God will restore what was lost. Some of you have suffered greatly in this life. Some of you have struggled greatly in this life. Maybe you've struggled physically with a sickness or an ailment or maybe you've struggled with a loss or a pain or abuse or mistreatment or maybe you've suffered in lots of different ways that I couldn't even begin to put words to. When you get home, the Lord will
will restore what was stolen from you. What does that mean? I have no idea and beware the man who has God figured out. I'm not telling you that that's certain kind of reward, certain kind of restoration. All I know is this, is that God tells his people over and over again, if the locusts have eaten it, I'm going to pay it back many times over. We have hope in a grace-based eternity. So hang on, dear ones, in this really sorry world. Hang on. Hang on. The Bible tells us elsewhere that we can have hope for a grace-based eternity because God will reunite us with those in Christ who've gone on before. That's a beautiful hope. 1 Thessalonians reminds us that you and I will be reunited with those in Christ who've already died. And by the way, those who are in Christ who've already died, they're no longer sick. They're no longer suffering. They're no longer struggling. They are at peace, at home, more complete than complete could ever be. They are experiencing a level of contentment that you and I can only dream about. And I know you miss them. And I know you... You can't wait to be with them. And we don't deserve that reunion. But in his mercy and in his kindness, we are heirs to eternal life. And we have an undeserved hope of seeing them being with them again. I hope your heart's getting excited about heaven this morning, and I hope you're remembering today that it's not something God owes you, it is something God chooses to, to give you hope in that you never deserve, but it's one of the more expressions of God's love where he says, I'm preparing a place, I'm gonna make it right, I'm gonna settle up, hold on, hold on, hold on. You're gonna get to go home. I've been thinking about this this week, being in heaven with Jesus. Don't forget that's the prize of heaven. It's not whatever else you might picture in golf courses and big banquet tables. Who knows, there may be all of those things. But the real prize of heaven is to get to see Jesus. The Bible tells us that the Son of God, who is right now being sung to as being worthy and glorious, that the Son of God in the new heaven and the new earth, we will need the sun, that big ball of gas that's shining out there. We won't need that any longer because the Lamb himself will be our light. 
And I've been thinking about this all week, that when we get to be with Jesus, I want you to think about this sitting with Jesus. Jesus sat with his disciples and he walked among the people and he healed all the diseases and he touched the lame and he touched the blind and he, he dealt with these things and he encouraged people in their battle and encouraged people in their struggle. Think about this for a moment. When we get our hope realized, our hope fulfilled, when we get to be with Jesus, there will be nothing to cure. There will be nothing to explain. And there will be absolutely nothing to battle. So we'll just get to enjoy him. Just enjoy him and his love for us. His undeserving love for us. So as a church, we want to recognize that life outside of those doors is hard. Hello? It's hard. There's comparison and anxiety and depression, and then there's abuse and rape and pedophilia, and then there's swindling and embezzlement and lying and cheating and infidelity and all kinds of things out there. And there's, there's, there's betrayal and abandonment and, and, and trafficking and just genocide. There's awful, awful stuff out there. Let us make sure that when we invite people to hope in the Lord Jesus, we include the promise, the hope of a grace-based eternity, that this hard world is not all there is. And that in the end, the evil does not win. And for anyone who's just about to go under, drowning in the thought that there's so much bad, there's, the evil's in control. No, 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 no. We give them the promise of hope that through Jesus, in his kindness, by his grace, we are justified and we become heirs to eternal life. And there will come a day when our God stands up and says, evil, your day is done. And a reckoning will come. And we will go home to deep, everlasting joy. So in this passage, we see something beautiful about our hope in a grace-based salvation that we never deserved. And we see something in this passage about hope for a grace-based eternity that we never deserved. Last one, one more. We see hope in a grace-based community. Hope in a grace-based community. One of the things that Paul does for Titus is he describes what our life used to be relationally our life with each other. He describes how we were hating and being hated, how we were living in malice, this sort of hoping bad stuff happens to other people and being angry to the point of, of, of wishing ill and harm on this other person and envy, wanting what they had, envying their life, thinking God was cruel for time, time to time because of the way he told other people's story. God, why aren't you telling my story the way you're telling their story? Do you love them more than you love me? Paul described that former life, but then the love of God appeared in our Savior, Jesus Christ, and he saved us. 
He saved you out of hell. He saved you out of bondage to sin. But he also saved you into a new community of grace. Where we are no longer just struggling to live and exist in malice and envy and hatred. But we can choose to live in love and acceptance and support and community. Does that sound good to anybody? So part of this life together under the grace of God is how we treat each other and how we deal with our real messy lives with each other. I want to talk about that just for a moment, this hope in a grace-based community. At People of Hope Church, radical grace must be the standard for how we deal with each other. Because if we sin or struggle or fall on our faces and we don't find grace in each other, then the enemy will have won twice. He will have tempted us into sin, and then he will have made us to feel less loved and less worthy by the very thing that should be bright and beautiful, the church of Jesus. And he will pour shame on our secret struggles, and he will pour shame and guilt that's already been paid for the lies of shame and guilt on our flaws and mistakes and imperfections. Radical grace. Radical grace. Radical grace. Grace that makes you almost uncomfortable. Grace. It has to be the standard for how we do life as a church. Friends, We need to expect each other to mess up. Let that sit in for a moment. We need to expect each other to mess up. Any humans in the room? Let me see your hands. Okay, we got a few. Got a few in the room today. Good, 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 good. You're going to blow it. I'm going to blow it. We are all flawed. Amen? Imperfect. We're all going to struggle. We need to expect each other to mess up, to be flawed, to have some fumbles sometimes, and then every once in a while, some of us are going to full-on faceplant. Do you know that term, faceplant? I don't know the official origin of it, maybe from skateboarding or just somebody who tripped on a sidewalk and fell face first, but I know the the term from snow skiing. Uh, I've been snow skiing quite a few times, and, and when I would go snow skiing, there'd be this moment where you're going down the hill and you think you're in control, and all of a sudden, maybe an, an invisible pebble, or the wind blows the wrong direction, or a five-year-old zips past you going two times as fast as you are, but something happens, your balance gets off, and all of a sudden, one ski goes up, and you're trying to regain your balance a little bit and before you know it that tip of that ski might touch the snow and you're tumbling and you end up boom your nose is in the snow face plant and we need to expect each other to mess up in a community of grace and though some of us will just have some flaws some of us will have an opportunity and we'll fumble it but you know what let's get real about the messiness of our humanity this morning some of us are going to full on face plant and there needs to be grace for the face planters amen, amen. they were doing fine And then there was a temptation. It was just a bad choice in a weak moment. And they messed up big. They blew it big. 
I don't want to have the church where they feel like they have to hide that. I don't want to have a church where they feel like they're not welcome anymore because they think everybody else has everything squared away. And we don't, do we? We need to expect each other to mess up in a grace-based community not pretending. Pretending is what religion is. Hi, good to see you. Hi, good to see you. Everything's good in my world. I hope it's good in your world. I'm just putting on a big smile. I'm ignoring the fact we had a big argument in the car on the way here. I'm ignoring the fact that I had to bribe my son to put on shoes to come to church this morning. I'm ignoring the fact that my husband and I haven't been sleeping in the same room for a month. I'm ignoring the fact that, that my kid has been dabbling in marijuana. I'm ignoring the fact that all these things are going on. But hi, how are you? Good to see you. How are you? Fine. How are you? Fine. Fine. That's religion. That's religion. And a grace-based community says there are bullets flying everywhere out there and some of us are going to get hit. And when we're wounded, whether we were disobedient or foolish or whether we just flat out arranged for something completely self-inflicted. We ought to be welcome in the community of grace. So when someone face plants, what they need to get back from us is, I'm still here with you. We're gonna talk about truth, we're gonna talk about repentance, we're gonna talk about help, we're going to talk about counseling. We're going to talk about some consequences. But I hear what you just said happened in your life. I hear what you just said you did in your marriage. I hear what you said you just did in your room. And I'm sorry, but I'm with you right now. I'm not going anywhere. That's grace-based community. It's radical. Out there, if someone shows a flaw, people pounce on it. In here, let's bind up the wound. We expect grace from each other to catch us like a safety net when we blow it. Otherwise, you'll now start to have an unofficial list, an unpublished list of sins that we considered out of the bounds of grace or issues in our family that are out of the bounds of grace. Oh, your, your daughter got pregnant out of marriage? Whoa. That's out of the bounds of grace. You probably shouldn't even show your face here because obviously you're not a good parent. If we're not careful and if we don't lock into radical grace, we're going to create that kind of environment. But let it be said of us, by the power of Christ and in keeping with the spirit of mercy and grace, we say to the family who finds herself with a daughter who is pregnant out of marriage, we say to them, both of you are welcome. Don't you dare turn your eyes away from us. Don't you dare think about leaning away from us. You lean in us to us right now because you made a bad choice, but your life's not over, and your issue is with God, not with us. So come on in. We love you. And our kids are not perfect if we don't have radical grace, 
then church world will begin to have this list of unpardonable sins, this list of things that are too big for grace to cover, and I believe it honors Jesus when no one has to endure shame. You see, the real life of discipleship is is that we battle sin and sometimes we sin and lose in that battle, but then we repent and we stand in the grace of God and the grace of our community of believers. And part of that repentance is, is we stand in the truth and turn and then get back on the road of godly discipleship. And we battle some more. And then we're going to suffer and we're going we're gonna to go down swinging in some battles sometimes. We're going to get off course. We're going to get off track and we're going to sin. But then we need to repent and get back up. Sin, repentance, truth, restoration. Sin, repentance, truth, restoration, grace. All of that is the cycle we live in. And there is not a single thing that anyone in the community of faith can do that should cause them to be cut off from the love of God through his people. Now, you may have an issue or a struggle or a proclivity or a temptation that brings consequences so that you can't work with our kids or teenagers. But you're welcome here. You you may have an issue or or a weakness that makes it to where we're not giving you responsibility on a financial leadership team. You may have had an issue at your work and Lawyers may have been involved, but you're welcome here. And let me just take a little time out here for a moment. Parents, let go of the thought that you are responsible for your kids' actions and that your kids' choices are a commentary on your parenting. In some cases, It might be about neglect, but in most cases, when your kid chooses to rebel and run away from God and get off into the weeds, it's their choice, and it's not a reflection on you. It's their choice, so don't you hang your head or you avert your eyes or don't you stay home because of the mess your kid has gotten themselves in. It's their mess. Now you react with grace and parent them and let us walk with you through the mess. I believe we, have, we serve a savior with dirty sandals. He gets into the mess with us. Radical grace. Confess your sins and struggles to one another, the book of Ephesians says, and put down the shame and guilt. And I want to encourage you, if you have been wrestling with some sin and the enemy's just pile-driving you with shame and guilt, that you would get with someone of the same gender in the body of Christ, a man with a man and a woman with a woman, and confess your sins and let them speak grace to you so that the enemy might not win twice in your life. And let them walk you through the cycle of grace and truth and repentance and restoration. Get back up off the floor and keep going. Because we are not meant to face plant and then feel disqualified from the love of God through his people.
We preach grace here. We preach truth here. We preach right living. There is a right way to live. This Bible is full of things that are right and things that are not right. There is a right road and a wrong road. There is an obedient road and a wrong road. We preach that, and we're not backing off from that. And to be, to be people who love and confess radical grace is not to let go of the truth. Radical grace is on the other side of someone's sin against God. It never waters down the truth. We preach radical grace and restoration. Earlier this week, I read the story of a friend of mine who's a former college student of mine in a, in a ministry that I was part of and a long, long, long time ago. She told, tells the story of when she was 19, she had one of the more terrorizing experiences of her life huddled with a pregnancy test in a bathroom stall at a suburban Walmart. And just a couple of weeks prior, she had been raped by her boyfriend. And there was fear about a pregnancy and fear that she had lost her virginity and fear that this abusive thing had happened, this terrible thing had happened in her life. She was the victim in this moment. But what she was really afraid of was her Christian community. If she were to become pregnant, she was absolutely terrified of how the church would respond. And she huddled in a bathroom stall in a Walmart way on the other side of town, terrified for three minutes waiting for those results to come out on the pregnancy test. I want to read a quote to you from her. I knew enough to realize that I would be eaten alive by my siblings in Christ if I chummed the waters with the blood of my lost virginity. And I wrote her a note this week because I was a part of the church that she was in. And I apologized to her for not creating a grace environment where the one thing she knew for certain was that no matter the outcome of that little test, her church would be like this. Come on in. We're with you. My heart was broken for her. We had a beautiful exchange this week and some messages together and God's doing an incredible thing through her life at this point. The people of hope, listen carefully to these words. Shame on us if the friends we do church with aren't absolutely certain of our grace-based reaction to their messy lives. Shame on us if the friends we do church with aren't absolutely certain, like I just know it, absolutely certain, certain of our grace-based reaction to their messy lives. I was hurt that my friend, when she was assaulted, didn't feel like that was something she could talk about and receive grace and help for. 
And I grieved because my friend thought, well, if this ends up in pregnancy, I'm ruined in the eyes of church people. Let's be a different kind of church, amen? Radical grace. It's messy, but our Savior has dirty sandals. Our shepherd cleans out the sheep pen. You know what's in the sheep pen, don't you? This is our hope. For grace-based salvation, for a grace-based eternity, and every day of the week, grace-based community. Our hope rests in the incredible gift of God's forgiveness and it rests in the promise of heaven and that this sorry world isn't all there is. And this hope must also rest in a taste of heaven on earth, a church of grace and hope, a church that is a refuge for the flawed, a safe place for the broken, a safety net for those who blow it big. So if you feel like you've made a mess of it all, you are welcome here. If you're stuck in life, if you feel like you don't quite know how to do relationships with other people, you're welcome here. If you have doubts and lots of questions about God, if you think differently on political issues, if you've had a brush with evil and it's made you a victim, you are welcome here. If your spiritual life is a long line of inconsistency or if your heart is unfortunately drawn to delight in dirty things on the internet, if you've had sex outside of marriage, if you've cheated on a test or a project in school, you are welcome here. If your kid throws fits, if your home has lots of yelling, if your kid punches walls and puts holes in them, if your kid lies and lies and lies again, if your kid is lost to drugs, you are absolutely welcome here because none of us has a perfect family, none of us. So where there is sin, let there be repentance to receive grace and return to right living in a way that is pleasing to God. And in all of this, let us love and worship Jesus. Amen? Because we know what we deserved. But we got the cross. And we know what reward we deserve but we get heaven and Jesus. And we know how often we fumble and face plant on a weekly basis, but we get the family of God called People of Hope Church to stand with us in the mess, to show us grace. How good is our God? Let us work hard to carry this message of hope to our city and to the campus. Let us work hard to show this kind of grace to each other. Are you with me? Yes. Let's pray.